Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. Along with Brian Siegel, I am Curtis Wilson. Brian, how are you tonight, big guy? I don't know how I am. I'm I'm still kind of feeling things out, but I know that uh, Brad Nelson has a puckered asshole. Yes, he does. <laughs> Brian said it on Thursday night. It rang true all day today. Hokies fall 25-24 to Miami. I hate being right tonight. I wanted to be proven wrong, but, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things. I didn't let it ruin my day. Yeah. It wasn't a Liberty game. It didn't ruin my day. After after the loss, I did a couple things for my wife in the house and then took the boys out, and we were riding bikes and throwing Frisbees and, you know, kicking balls around, and neighbors came up with their kids. The kids played. One, yeah. one minute into the fourth quarter, my PS5 arrived, so I, I had plenty to occupy my time uh, once the game was over. All right, were you angry, though? Like I'm saying, I, like – I was mad at the end of the game, man. It sucks we lost, but eh, I got some stuff I got to do. I was initially angry, and it was more because of, like, this is this is the shit that we've come to expect week in, week out. It's like the one thing that we can expect every week is some degree of inconsistency, inconsistency whether it's on the offensive side, the defensive side, occasionally some uh, snafus on special teams, which are usually isolated to – just bad decisions by players, but yeah, man, it's, it's, I was initially upset about that coming off what we saw last week with Liberty. Like it just felt like, you know, another example of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory with this one, coaching our, coaching our way out of a win. Yep. Not going long suit. So many different things you can say about the last two weeks. Let's let's talk about both of that fourth quarter first and, and we'll we'll get to the I'll finish with the end the last drive which just Hold on wait a sec no you said the end there were two damn drives <laughs> and that's what I'm saying like I'm I'm saying the, the, the subsequent two to three drives that kind of closed out this game where we were you know, you go you go from driving to potentially going back up two scores to being down, then turning the ball over, then getting it back with two minutes left, and the, the shittiest two minute drill I've seen ever, maybe in my entire life, but it, it, it's definitely up there if it's not the worst. Um, so you, you get the ball, you got two minutes, you get a, a pretty quick first down, and then you, it was like. Four plays took 65 seconds. It did. It was no uh, – what have I said, Brian? Those games, we were down multiple scores. Nope. First half bomb of the night, everybody. No fucking urgency. And you're sitting here, men, less than two minutes. <laughs> just under two minutes. Like, 149, I think, is when we snapped the first down. And you're like, go. Go. You should automatically have the play you want in and go get everybody sitting step. there like check uh realigning the uh the protection and having a check with me after the uh the false start snap and you you uh-huh. let 15 seconds run off the clock i think it was 17 get get 
17? I think it was 17 or 18. You say 15. I, I was like, snap it. it, snap it, snap it. Whoa. What do you do when snap it? <laughs> but no urgency. Like, this is the game. We have wasted our timeouts. Defense. And you only need five. a field goal. You We're need a field goal. goal. And we have a guy that can get it there from 50. They've been putting him in bad situations consistently kicking from 50. But you know what? If it was a 51-yarder, you know, he has a chance to make this. The other thing about the last drive was they were giving middle of the field those last few plays. And I sat there. I saw some people tweet about it, and I thought to myself, should at least, you know, run a 15-yard play, go up there, spike and have two seconds, at least a fucking chance to throw it to the end zone. Chance to throw it to the end zone. I mean, chance to take a really long – like, if we'd have got it to where it was under a 60-yard field goal, fuck it, roll him out there and see what he can do. <laughs> but, no, we, we had no urgency. It was just kind of like, oh, okay, we got this. We got this. You want to talk about the two-minute drive. The four-minute one is the one that just – boggled my freaking mind with the interception. Yeah. We 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 that, get that, that, that's all day. All day we have our drives are like three to six minutes to score points. This is great. We can run our normal offense. We don't need to go deep. We don't need to go hurry up. We were eating their lunch in the intermediate game. Completely oh, eating oh, their lunch. Oh no what, what did our genius OC decide to run? Let's take a shot, guys. Why not? And it looked like it was some sort of uh, option route, and it looked like Hooker was trying to take – well, thought he was going to take him up the up the sideline further, and um, Kayla Smith ran a skinny post, and it was just all but she wrote, it, man. But, again, it's, it's not necessarily – it's the timing of the play of when it was. It's four minutes left. And your defense has, believe it or not – you know, we'll get to the defense in a while. Defense, believe it or not, made made a stop or two. Um, there was a late drive, Brian, and I, I texted you this third and fifteen. And you know, a couple of bad things have happened, but third and fifteen, it was essentially the food, the tenure of the Fuente definition. Third and fifteen, Hendon drops back. The dropbacks looks good. The protection looks good. And you can see the routes developing nicely at one of the camera angles. What does he do? He fucking slips and goes slips, to a knee. It's a knee. That's the definition of the Valente era right there. It looked good. Look, you, you drew it up. It looks nice. And all of a sudden, you fell flat on your fucking face. Yes. Metaphorically uh, speaking. Fell on your knee, literally speaking. Literally fell on your knee, and you had to punt the ball. And that's the one... <laughs> that got me um, because also on that drive, the big play before, because I think it was second and six or second and five, big loss is the way Hendon looked. It looked like, you know, that post wheel combo we like to run. Yep. He looked that and it made him stay back there. And when I looked at it, he missed an easy little underneath drag. There was, when they showed him going down to that knee, or when they showed that play, they showed a guy coming. Not the third and fifteen. It was the couple, it was the play before that. And I'm looking. I'm like, if he sees that guy, it's a first down, and we keep driving. Yeah. But we won't do easy things. 
Brian, let's hit a couple other points here. Obviously, the last drives are really in our memory. Um, Brian, I know one guy that has really not been on his game is Luke Tenuta. Yeah, I was I was watching him today. Um, yeah, I mean, Phillips was eating his lunch all day, man. <laughs> Phillips was eating his lunch. I mean, we, we can give props to Darisaw. Darisaw, yeah, more Rocher. or less – uh, took took out Quincy Roche as having any impact on the defense, but on the other side, Luke was just he was struggling, man. And you know we had talked about it a couple times before this. I mean, Luke hasn't really looked like himself since he's returned from his uh, you know couple game absence from COVID. Yeah. So I'm not sure if that's just that's still pulling on him there, but. When he's been out there, he's just he's struggled, especially on with uh, with the speed rush, man. Guys that can you know turn on the jets and uh, and run the hoop, he's really struggled against. And he gave up a, what what about three sacks tonight? Yeah. Oh, today, I, sorry, oh. it's 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 nighttime now. It was today when the game was played. <laughs> it's true. It's he gave up the sacks. He had a couple nice pops, opened some holes in the run game, but overall, he just hasn't looked right. It's and I don't know if it's conditioning or something like that, but it goes back. This goes back to some of the things we're going to discuss as we get along. We know Vance Fife likes to rotate guys. He likes everybody to be able to be ready to play any position. But when he's looking that bad, you have to just let Doug Nestor play. We yeah. know Doug can hold his own, right? Yeah. Yeah. And in, in these type of situations, if the game is forty-two twenty-one and we're beating the living shit out of them, or they're beating the living shit out of us. Yeah, let him stay in there and get his reps. In this case, no. He is in liability right now. There's close enough of a margin of error where if we can get the right guy in there just to hold another second or second and a half in a lot of cases, you're talking about the difference between a sack and a potential big play. True. A couple couple times – you know, Phillips got around the edge, and just before uh, Hennon was about to let it go, all of a sudden he's got to deal with a, a, a guy in his face and having to, you know, fight off a sack. So, you know, we saw that a lot tonight, guys. And, you know, it's when you talk about a one-point game, those are the type of plays that could have, you know, potentially won the thing for you. So, Absolutely. you know, I don't, I don't know what to say here. Um, let's talk about Hennon Hooker while we're here. Yeah, he played a pretty efficient game, but. Some of that, that that late turnover and a couple decisions kind of, I think, marred an otherwise pretty darn good day for him. Yeah, I agree. Like, yeah, he the intermediate game was working. He was very accurate in that. I mean, you know, you take a look at him in the day, you know, 202 through the air, um, 70% completion, 19 for 29. He added another 59 on the ground um, with 21 carries. That is obviously not a good average. Um and it's really bad, Brian. Fifty-three of the fifty-nine came on the touchdown carry. Yeah. D- do the math. That's like that's not that's a barely a quarter of a yard a carry after. They were they were ready to stop the the leads and the yep. powers, and they also sacked him. So I mean, if you're doing those two things, I mean, other than the one the one big run where. He, got, he was able to get to the second level, and once he was at the second level, he made him pay. But he could not get to the second level most of the night. All right, um, let's let's. I'm gonna hold off. 
because the inconsistency of the play calls I want to hit later yep. because you know what I'm going to talk about. And I do. it involves Mr. Hooker. Hooker had an okay game. Um, you know, Hooker did not lose us this game. No. I mean, I don't, I don't know what happened on that pick. Uh, I don't know what happened on the pick with Caleb Smith. I know he had one yeah. ball where he just needed to put a little bit more air. Yeah. <laughs> but he played an okay game. He put us in the positions time and time again. Let's flip to him. We talked about Thursday night. Juice Herbert would be a big key. I want to look at all three of the running backs that we primarily play. Okay. First of all, I think we we kind of know the deal with Juice, the hammy being banged up. He was out there probably 35% of the time of the snaps. Um, although they didn't run him out there on the first series, he looked okay. To me, it looked like if you told me he had 20 carries today, I think he probably would have had 80 yards. He didn't have the gear to get away where we've seen. There were times he got into the hole and where we'd seen him go, he was getting tackled 8 to 12 yards down the field. And, I mean, you know, we take a look at, you know, Juice's numbers today, you know, 8 for 49. Six yards of carry, his longest was 13. So he was he was fine. He was still effective despite not having the extra gear to kind of burst and turn those good plays into great plays. It's true. But, the, again, it goes back to what we're – we talked about what they're seeing at Luke. We've talked about a couple things where they're seeing at practice. Okay, if he looks like he can do that, the game plan should be, all right, we're going to have to play drive the ball. We can't expect home runs, intermediate routes. Even when they see it that he's not breaking the big one, they might come up a little bit more. Then we maybe take shots. But we didn't. Now, is, it, is this a medical staff situation? Like, we've had so many guys that like look like they're clear and then they don't play. No, and then guys he, he that report today and he didn't play. Yeah, I just I, I don't know what's going on with that. Like, if, if guys are cleared to play, they should play, and if guys aren't cleared good enough to play, they should not play. Nope. This like fully dressed but just sit on the sideline bullshit just confuses the hell out of me, man. What confuses you and makes you mad because it's like if he's not ready, you know, you need to just have him completely sit out. You're asking him to get draft, go through warm-ups and everything. Like, no, don't even do that. Well, it's an element of surprise. I don't give a shit about the element of surprise. If he we're we're, we're not, beyond that. We're not playing yeah. for a whole lot right now. No. Fuck the element of surprise. <laughs> do the right thing. That's on again, folks. As Brian said, if you're in the car with your kids, earmuffs. Earmuffs. The whole time. If they've got the if they've got the uh, the iPad in the back seat, you gotta say, here's the headphones, put the headphones on, daddy's gonna listen to his show. <laughs> and if you're gonna take the headphones off, you need to say, Dad, really yeah. loud. Announce so yourself. <laughs> Speak your truth. <laughs> Okay, let's go back to another running back. All right, today finally we see Jalen Holston get out. Jalen gets two touchdowns, 36 yards on four carries, two receiving, excuse me, two receiving for 11 yards, so 47 total yards. Um, And you saw today, in my opinion, and I don't know what he was going through. Again, it's the medical staff again. Not on the injury report. He's been out there doing some kick returns. 
why hasn't he been truly utilized as a true spell? Because he is literally, he is the version of Herbert that doesn't have the fifth gear. Yeah. Why? He's he's got much better vision than Black Shear between the tackles. He got the block well. So like I just don't I don't get why he wasn't spellback number one from day one. Because that would have done two things. That would have been less of a drop off when Herbert has to come off the field. Number two, you actually utilize Raheem Blackshear the way he needs to be utilized as an offensive weapon or a slot receiver and not as a spell back or a change of pace back. True. And you keep it moving, man. Again, it goes, it's like the preparations that we go into games. We don't know what the fuck we're doing. Man, I, I look back to something that I said, like, after Blackshear got his waiver and there was that press conference with with Foo and talked about, you know, I hope you're ready. Coaching staff, you have done nothing to to help this man out, to, to, yeah. to get him the plays that he needs to be successful. It's he like said, you didn't watch the tape of the guy you brought in. No, not at all. Or if you did, you said, all right, well, he did that well, but we're going to fucking square peg in a round hole this some bitch. Exactly. At least today they did put it back at punt return where he got the majority of his yards when he ended up getting um, a big 21-yard return, essentially flipped the field for us. Um, although we go down and we kick the field goal on that, which just annoys you because you're like, we're at the 49-yard line. Let's get it and go. Yeah. Um, and there were a couple of times I give him credit. And I saw people on social media say, well, why didn't he just catch that? You can't let that roll. Some of those punts you could see were coming in funky. Yeah. A good punt returner, a good to grunt punt returner will not try to catch those. Because yeah, I mean, they, they know only one thing can happen, and it's bad. I mean, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation because – we're coming off a week where a big play like that on special teams cost us a touchdown in a one score loss. And I'm sure some of that was in the back of his mind. It being the first week where he's been tabbed to be the guy back there. You know, you you say you got to play whatever that's obviously in his head. I mean, that's that's not an excuse, but it's definitely a reason. (laughs) And when you see a ball coming in like that, you're like, we're still in a position where we can win this game. I'm not going to lose us this game in one play. It's very true, man. It's very true. And, again, a couple of those, you can just see when they came off the gas what they didn't look right. If it doesn't look right, don't try to get it, especially if, they're, if the coverage is closing in good. Now, by all means, you've got 15 yards, take a risk. Yeah. But, well, I mean, the style of the kick is, is different because they – they hold it long. It's a rugby style. It's not. It's not a a hanger. It's very low in line drive, and those take weird bounces. So nothing about it is predictable. Very very true. All right. Um. All right. So finally, Brian, my prayer was answered. My prayer was answered today. We get a third and short situation, and we finally bring in Quincy Patterson. We did it one time. One, one time. It converted, but we only did it once. And I just don't get it. There were some times today where, you know, 
third and five, third and six. You know what? If you're in a position where you think you're going to go for it, screw it. Put them in. But worst I mean, you, you ran quarterback power and quarterback lead on several third and seven and third and sixes anyway. Why not put the fucking battering ram in there to do it? Um, yeah, those third and sixes and third and sevens. <laughs> yeah. you want, folks, I wish some of you could see the text chain when those happen. It's usually me and Brian are like, well, we're probably going for it here, right, Brian? Brian's like, yeah. Why the hell are we trying to kick a 55-yard field goal? You just basically went for quarterback lead on third and six or third and seven. And it's like a couple times it's like we ran it on plus side where we had a punt. It's just like, what are we doing? Like, it it doesn't make any sense. Um, When I I see that on third and long, I'm saying – Oh, the coordinator is telling me that we're going for it on fourth down. Yep. That's what I that that's that is what I read when I see someone make that call. And then consistently not doing that is mind boggling. You after they ran that, they they kicked a long ass field goal one time and then they punted the second time. Now thankfully our our punter ended up backing them up deep. Um I think that was the one that ended up getting downed at the five yard line. And uh, the defense held, got a three and out. But still, I mean, that's that's a situation where you could potentially get, try to get some points by being aggressive and trying to get the first down. And you call what I consider a passive third down call and then don't go, go aggressive on fourth. Like you can't go passive on third if you're not going for it on fourth. Fourth. It's, 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 ass, it's basically non-logical play calling. Like, no one would do that. Also, your guy that has consistently been able to pull that shit off is Khalil Herbert is not on the field in those situations. Well, I mean, today was a today was a inconsistency of the play calls. It was the perfect day where I swear to God, Brian, I think Justin Fuente was keeping a score. I think Fuente was calling some of those drives, and I think he won 21-3. <laughs> We we talked about it not only today while we were texting watching the game. We talked about it before we got on today. There were some drives, and I read Brian the opening second down or second half drive. Go back and look at that drive, folks, if you recorded it or when it shows up. That doesn't look like a Brad Poor Nielsen drive. There were other drives today with some of the past concepts. Some of the things, and I just saw the um, Hendon Hooker touchdown on ACC Network, where it's Trey come, Tay Turner, Tay Robinson, excuse me, not Trey Turner, comes motions behind, then essentially gets on the left side of Hendon, runs a jet fake, and essentially Hendon lets it run and go up. There were times we did that on the next drive. We did nothing of that. So my conspiracy theory is Justin Fuente has basically proven his friend is a terrible play caller by calling opposites and essentially losing us the game. Well, I like plays like that, and I'll tell you why. Because what they do is that they give the defense a different look even when you're running a play that you run 10 or 12 times a game. Right? It's true. So, it, it, I mean, it's essentially a a quarterback power, right? 
but the window dressing makes it look different than the jet in motion or the the fake outside zone in the inverted beer, right? So it looks different, but it's 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 the same thing that we've been seeing. So, well, it's the, it's the other piece of you're making people for just a tenth of a second have to wait, unless they truly trust their read. Oh, it's going to be quarterback power. But if you read it as quarterback power and he stepped and he handed it off and you stepped inside, Brian, you're a guard. I'm sure you love to see linebackers step inside when it's going to be something going outside because you get to get to that second level and put yes, them. On. There he is doing a little bit. You put them <laughs> on. And in those and in those type plays, if it goes to the house or it's a 50 yard gain, that linebacker's walking to the sideline. Defensive coordinator saying, "What the bleep are you doing? Why'd you immediately commit to the inside power?" Well, coach, they did that before. Don't care. You've got to wait. You've got to wait and let the play develop. Yep. Because quarterback power getting eight yards is a hell of a lot better than getting 50 the other way. And the other thing I didn't like about it, we saw in motion, and I don't think any time today did we pass out of it. But that's a setup because if you run that and then you have Hendon take that one step forward, well, the linebackers are sucking up, so you're going to have nice intermediate crossers, like Caleb Smith called a be- that 30-yard pass today. He called was beautiful. Yes, across that 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 about 15-yard crossing route, but it starts opening things up. So, you know, it's the same old thing. Today was different because there were some drives that looked. Man, is this bad? I'm gonna say this, Brian. There were drives today that looked professional. Hey. <laughs> And Pretty much all all three of our scoring drives where we got touchdowns looked unreal. like something that you would want to see. There was consistency. There was seemed like a sequence that made sense. Um, most of the execution was there, and then you know we had a handful that just looked like we were lost, and then a handful where it felt like the coordinator crossed the fifty and just again. <laughs> just forgets what to do. Yeah, like we're one of those teams that because we have some really good play designs, because we have really good play designs, I'm trying to figure out how Oregon State scored. You see a touchdown pop up, you're like, they didn't have the ball the last time I saw it. <laughs> but really good play designs that even when they aren't perfectly executed, they get positive yardage. The most prime one today was that jet sweep. Late in the game, second and 10. Well, go through my notebook here because when I saw it run, it was a really good play. We ran, it was second and 10. I think we had taken a like an intermediate shot, missed it. But we run a jet sweep. Short side, the linebackers have to do what they do. They stay home. Now, if they eventually flow out, they get in five yards down the field. It was one of those plays where it was set up to say, we're going to be second and five or second and four. Yeah. And if they screw up and miss it, we're going to have a big game. That's what irritates me is when you know, okay, we just need a – you need to find the play that is going to get you in a position to convert. And on yeah. that drive, the next play, we didn't get it, but you saw the setup happen. 
And that's what I get more and more angry about. Yeah, it's like that one was kind of on, you know, sometimes you just either don't execute and sometimes the defense just plays well. I mean, sometimes you got to give it, give them credit. They, uh, they have the right call to stop what you called. It wasn't necessarily a bad call, but yeah, you know, here you are. Um, but we had some drives that looked good like that. We have some drives that we scored on. And then we had some drives that just looked looked like we were lost, man. And, um, that inconsistency is what is killing this team, man. It's killing us. Um, but I mean, I think we've kind of, I think we sucked all the marrow out of the offense here, man. Let's talk about the defense a little bit. Best game they've played all season. I agree. I agree. If, if you had told me or Brian Thursday night, they're going to get to 25. First of all, I think we would have been like, you're out of your damn mind. Shit you say. <laughs> yeah, you that bullshit. I mean, Brian, what did you see specifically today that really, why it was their best game? The front seven played the most complete game they played this entire year. Including Dax? Including Dax. Um, I'd say it's, I'd almost go to the, the point to say especially Dax, which is something that, Y'all know I have not said this year. <laughs> we're not going to say Dax slander. We're Dax truthers. Yes, we are Dax truthers. Um, you know, we, we've we've been critical of the front seven yeah. and the secondary, but, you know, in particularly we, we've hammered the linebackers pretty bad this year. We've ha- hammered the defensive tackles pretty bad. And I don't have a whole lot of slander for the front seven. Well, man, they had six sacks today. <laughs> He had six sacks. You held a, a pretty potent offense to 25 points. Under 400. Uh, you only gave up one play of over 20 yards. True. I mean, De'Aaron King's rushing stats today, did, did, have you seen those? Uh, pretty much non-existent, man. He had 15 yards. You yeah. told me you held De'Aaron King to 15 yards. I'm thinking, well, me and Brian are saying, hey, we're glad to be wrong. Unfortunately, we didn't. If you told me we held Derek King to under 300 combined yards, I'd have told you <laughs> you were full of shit. <laughs> but we did. We did. Um, You know, Dak's definitely best game today. After the, It did not start out that way. That first drive, oh, my, he was, he missed fits. He went the wrong way. He was. He blew essentially a coverage. Just looking where he was and where Devin Taylor was on one of those passes, he was in the wrong spot. And it was just like, it, oh, here comes the same old Dax again. But then he, he turned it around. Um, He he got off some blocks. Yeah. He went to he got the off right. some blocks. He did a good job of getting into the flat on several like, yeah. swings and, um, and, and, and passes that were going to the sideline, like quick outs. One of his best plays today was did that scramble with the Eric King. He used leverage. He basically did you, you saw that play, right? Yeah. He basically turned and he basically said, You're either going out of bounds or you're coming back in. King turned back in and he you know, he had Dax there, but Dax got that arm, it slowed him and two guys were there. Yep. And when we talk Brian has over the years educated me on leverage and he's like, That's what you do. Oh, you want to turn back upfield? Come on. Because people are going to be here real quick. And that's what happened. Yep. Exactly, man. 
And then, he, did, he did a great job. I'm going to give another shout out to uh, Hewitt, who had who wore the 25 today. He earned the 25 today. Damn right. Uh, definitely his best game of the season by a large margin. Um, or interior. Yeah. He's got a sack today. Kendricks blew up one of those sack early. He absolutely just, it was like pop, pop. He, he, he basically hand fought, got the guy down right up to the air team. Yep. And I mean, the defensive ends played well. Justice Reed had a good game. Barno had a good game. I mean, th- this was a complete effort. Rook probably had his best game of the season as well. Rook looked like Rook today. Yeah. Getting to the spots, popping, not look looking like maybe finally he would he had where he was out for COVID. Maybe he finally got his football win back. Yeah. He looked like the guy we have known the last three years. It's true, man. I'm gonna call out two plays in the secondary that I would say were the were the two worst plays of the day. <laughs> we've All been right. positive. We 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 put on the icing here. Um I'm gonna put a big old uh, loogie right there on the gotcha. on, on the cake. It, it's 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 still edible, you know. Depending on who you are, you might still eat it. <laughs> uh, I want to start with the uh, the ball where King just kind of chucked it towards the sideline, oh. and oh. Chapman was playing underneath the route, and instead of giving ground and getting a pick held ground and then tried to jump and make a play. And instead of ended up either an interception or fourth down, they get a first down on a third and long. Yeah. That, uh, he looked, uh, like he, he apparently he just gauged how, how much air was going to be on that ball completely wrong. And then was just in a position where he couldn't make a play and tried to jump late. That's the only thing I could think of there, man. But, he definitely misread the uh, the ball in the air. The second one, I'm I'm not sure the responsibility here, but it was on the the only big play of the game, the long touchdown that gave them the lead. Um, I based on what I saw, it looked like they were almost in a all out blitz cover three, and they ran that RPO, and and Taylor just did not get enough depth. Now he was, I mean, you, you could see he was. He was five yards in front of where that pass was. Yeah, I'm, I could be wrong on what the coverage was. It might have been some sort of man responsibility across the board on that blitz, but yeah, it looked like he should have had kind of the uh, intermediate to deep third since we were bringing the house, and and he was just too shallow, um, and we got beat on kind of that 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 quick post. That's what it was, because it looked like as soon as. As soon as that ball was snapped, when he hit that third step, he chucked it. Like, he immediately saw no one was in that zone, and the way the leverage was set up. Again, the way the leverage was set up was, it. I think why Brian's saying it's a blown coverage is, the way it was set up, it looks like he was trying to turn him inside. To say, I'm going to turn you inside, and there's going to be a zone. You're going to go right into a zone with someone there. Correct? If It felt like he had... Because he was running with him, but he was running with him in a almost a trail responsibility. So it seemed like it was it was kind of a cover three with everybody underneath going after the quarterback. And just Taylor didn't have enough depth where when the post crossed out of the uh, the corners zone into the middle, 
he just wasn't there to make a play. And it almost, you know, from, from other perspectives, it, it might've been a man responsibility, but the way he got beat kind of right away, it didn't look like it looked like he thought he had help inside. Gotcha. All right. Let's go back. Let's, let's kick the loogie off. Those again, best defense <laughs> of the day. Jay Ham's best schematic game, without a doubt, his best play calling game. Um, the blitzes were unique. Um, and you said something, and I'll let, say what you said to me about what we did today. That if we had done some of these other games, we might not be four and four right now. Yeah, I mean, I talked about it a little bit on Thursday too. I was I was saying that this defense consistently throughout the year has not been dictating terms to the offense. And it felt like we finally started doing that today, whether it was some of the stunts with the defensive line or the blitzes that we were bringing. We felt like it felt like we were actually saying, you're not going to fucking score. We're going to hit you. We're going to knock your dick in the dirt. It, it, it felt like a defense that, again, I, I said it, we, they haven't feared us all year. It looked like, Hey, you might, you might think twice before doing some things against this one. Exactly. And it was the first time I could really say that. I mean, you know, I don't, I'm not saying that we're turning a corner on defense, but I definitely think in terms of effort and again, dictating terms, this was definitely the best effort of the year by far. 100%. Um, and you know what, if this is the type of defense, Justin Hamilton wants to run, I think he can be highly successful in this area of college football with, you know, there's going to score points. I mean, look at the track meet that broke out today between Wake and UNC. Yep. Makes me feel better about both those games. Um, little, 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 well, <laughs> let's not get into that. We, we'll have a recap show in January where we can just, <laughs> we're, we're going to drink, we're going to get a, a, a leader of, our choice, sit six feet apart at one of our houses in the cold, get drunk and do it. There we go. Yeah. Our eyes would, well, you know. <laughs> I mean, we'll still do it. We just might have to pay for it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Anybody out there has couches, please let us know. That's um, right. Brian, you know, again, lost today brings the Hokies to four and four. And. Ugh. After, you know, essentially starting four and two, going into what we thought, okay, after after Liberty, it's going to be our toughest stretch. If we can get, if we can get to Miami five and one, we, we can do some things because you feel confidence. Yeah. But if four and four, it's not that way. And this is sort of our take, y'all, and we're going to just get into some stuff on the coaching situation. And we, we kind of mentioned it last week, but this is, we've crafted this statement. It's our opinion that if the money can be found and it's $10 million. So if you hit the lottery to nine year Virginia tech fan, get ready to start check. If the money can be found, this is going to be the last year of the Justin Fuente era. Now who stays and who goes on this staff, let that be up to the next head guy. Cause you know, I think Brian, me and you both feel that there are a few coaches on this staff that if the next guy walks in and he doesn't have like his ace for that position, there's some guys that could be retained. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's probably a handful. Um, 
let's start with the guy that we've been giving a whole lot of love the last couple of weeks, James Shabest. Um, I think he's probably, he's probably done consistently the best job on the staff all year. Um, his only negative plays have been bad decisions and execution by the players, not any calls that he's made. Um, I think he's done a really good job of getting his guys prepared to do the things they need to do, especially when it's crunch time. Yep. So, yeah, I I would definitely consider um, retaining him. I'd also look at a couple guys on the defensive side of the ball. You guys might laugh at me for saying that, but just based on their ties to the program, their ties to Virginia, Retaining Justin Hamilton as a position coach and Daryl Tapp as a position coach would probably be a good decision. Um, I'm with you on all three of those, especially Shabest. I mean, Shabest has been one of the best special teams coordinators over the last two decades, with without any question. And depending on who the hire is, you're probably not going to find someone as good as him to just handle that for you. Um, the Tappenham thing makes sense. People even said it that Ham was he probably wasn't quite right for this. Sucked not even it. quite right, just not quite ready. Well, yeah, I, yeah. I think he's yeah. right, but I think he's he's not seasoned enough to not be ready quite. to take over that degree of responsibility, especially without. I mean, we thought that the Clay's hire was kind of a slam dunk in terms of easing him into the thing, and that's turned out to be a fucking clown show. Um, no disrespect to. Tracy Clay's in his career, but I don't think it's been a good fit for him here. No, not at all. And, you know, missing, again, we, we said it, the entire team missing the, you know, spring ball, summer conditioning stuff, true camp, starting the season in Labor Day, not three, four weeks later. You know, I think they can be kept tapped. I don't care who the coach and hire is next. They have to keep him. They have to. Because he lives it, he breathes it. You know he can be great. I'm gonna throw two more names out there for you. Okay. You tell me what you think. You got your three guys. I like those guys. There's there's truly two I feel like could be kept, but two more names that interest me. One is Ryan Smith. Okay. Right. Yeah. He was one of the 30s under 30 um, per 247 last year, and the other one. <laughs> I don't know where you're going with here. Adam Leichenberg, a running back coach, usually as you as people look, one of the easier positions to fill. But more of his connections with junior colleges. He looks like he knows how to find guys, knows how to do the portal stuff well. Where it's like, you know, that's an easy hire. You automatically say you're the JUCO guy. That's your that's your territory. You're not touching anything else in recruiting. Look at the JUCOs, find what we need. What do you think about those two? I think those two you can make a case for. Um, I think you could also maybe make a case for, for Coach Vice um, yeah. with, with what he's did with the offensive line. Um, getting, getting Trying to find good fit guys, doing good at – keeping guys rotational where you've got guys that can play in different areas when you need to, when a guy goes down or when a guy's not getting the job done. So I like what he's done. And again, guys, this is all 
contingent on who the ultimate big guy hire is and, and what type of coordinators they bring along. Because obviously, you know, if, if, if the guy they hire is a, a cornerbacks coach or if a, um, the DC they hire is a cornerbacks coach, the chance of, of, of Smitty hanging around is slim to none. But, you know, if, if it's not that case, then, you know, I think that's when you start looking at some of these guys staying around. Um, since we're talking about retaining and, uh, and not, let's talk about who the next guy should be. What are you thinking, man? Who's your, who's your, who's your one A? Well, the one A is without a doubt. It's Luke Fickle. Okay. I mean, what he's done at Cincinnati and the way he scraped himself up after kind of getting thrown into the fire, you know, with the whole trestle thing, which is, you know, I think a decade ago now, but how he essentially has stepped himself up and just kind of turned that program into legitimately right now the best group of five, you know, school. Um, Probably by a significant margin. Yeah. And and it's not no slander on UCF or anything, or, you know, even Josh Heupel down there, he could be on a short list eventually, but I think his mentality, he's a defensive guy. He plays nose. He played nose guard at Ohio state back in the nineties. You know, 33 and 13 as a head coach, he's 33 and 13 as a head coach, even with the Ohio state six and seven year in there. You yep. take out that year, you take out that year, the guy's 27 and 6. It's impressive, man. It's and impressive. That, and that's a 4 and 8 his first year at Cincinnati. Um, He's a younger guy. You know, he's only you know, 47 years old. Got a long time left to coach. Um, he, he He's the first call. Okay. Do, do, you, do you agree? Would he be your first call? He would be my first call as well. I think just what he brings to the table, um, his resume combined with the way he works yeah, uh, and, and what he's been able to do in a short period of time there at Cincinnati. I feel like we've seen enough of, of what he's done there as yeah. well. So it's not, it's not like such a small sample size where, you know, you say, well, maybe that's this or that's that. I think we've seen enough where, you know, we know that th- that this is all him getting this thing done. Um, So, yeah, he would definitely be my 1A. Uh, 1B is going to be, for me, Todd Grantham. Oh, man, that's a, that's a hot, that's a hot button. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you can get, a, get along – away from the abrasiveness that uh, kind of comes with that name um, in terms of what's happened with some other staffs and, and fan bases. I think you can really, it's, I mean, it's really a slam dunk hire. I mean, you got a, you know, a, a hokey, a guy that's coached here before a guy that understands recruiting in Virginia, a guy that how he rubs people aside has always been good in the living room with recruits. True. Um, and the fact that potentially if you make that hire, you also get Torian Gray as your defensive coordinator. That's a big one. 
because I think he could get Torian to come. Grantham also, he, he went to Tech, also grew up in Pulaski, so literally from the region. Yeah. Hometown boy. Hometown boy. Essentially, it's another, you know, you say what you want to say, it's a Frank hire. But I, I, I like him as well. Again, the Torian thing is big because you told you tell half this fan base Torian's coming back, but you got to deal with Todd. Half of them would say, screw it. Torian's that good. Yeah. But it's the whole thing of, He's coached everywhere. He coached 10 years in the NFL. He's been in Big Ten country. He's been in the SEC now, you know, basically of the last 10 years, seven of the last 10 years with Georgia, Mississippi State, and now Florida. Okay. You talk about the guys who are on staff. The one thing you would not have to worry about with him having that many times played or how many coached at that many places, excuse me, you would find solid hires at probably every single position. There would be somebody, even though he's abrasive and they know he can be an a-hole, you know what? I know he'll work hard. I know he'll put good things in place. Um, So I wouldn't be opposed to that. Now, I think it's one of those things, too, if you're talking about a target demographic to get yeah. fundraising up, um, he's not going to get your mass, right? He's not going to get the mass of people. He is in his mid fifties. He's 54. So he's not, he's not late sixties. He's, he's at that age. A lot of times guys who work for years and years get their first job. He's um, a potential 10 year hire. He's a 10 year hire. Um, but it's also when you're talking about a guy who's that age, you kind of start thinking about these are the people who were there when the stuff was bad and it went good. You hire him, maybe some of those people who are making significant amounts of money all over the country who are that age. Yeah. Instead, of, instead of donating $5,000 a year, they donate 20. I like Todd. Todd played when I was there. I remember Todd. Todd coached when I was there. I remember Todd potentially helping what you've been saying and what we've been saying numerous times. The hire can be great. If the investment's not there, it could go sideways. Yeah. We're going to do five, guys. The third one, Brian's still on the podium for this guy. I like the guy. Brian's still on the podium for him, though. Yeah, I like uh, I like Marcus Freeman, um, and I only say Marcus Freeman. I think he's a good look if you're not able to get Luke or Todd, because Luke potentially could go to some sort of blue blue blood school that is trying to flip the script. Yeah, uh, did you see what just happened to Michigan today? Yeah, yeah. Did you see what happened to Penn State today? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's some potential for. Big blue blood schools that are on the rocks right now to make a, a splash higher. So Luke Fickle could be gone regardless of how bad we want him. True. So if we're looking at another guy, let's look at the defensive coordinator for those up and coming Bearcats that are, you know, climbing the ladder of the top 25. Um, also a linebackers coach. Yeah. Um, yeah. So 
I like I like him. I like uh, what he's been able to do with recruiting in the short time that he's been uh, with the Bearcats. Um, I like that he seems like a guy that can really relate to a lot of the the youth in the areas that we recruit. So I think that would be good. He doesn't have a big history of recruiting in the state, in the region, but he's done well when he's dipped his toes in there. And he's done well across the board um, for, for recruiting um, when he's been out there. So I, I like it. Um, you know, it's, it's not a sexy hire, but I think he's a young guy that can relate with the players a lot better and bring some interesting philosophies on defense um, that even Jay Ham's not exploring at this point. So um, I think it's a win-win on that front. All right. The one reason he wasn't as high for me as he was for Brian, y'all, because we clarified is my worry, Brian, and I, I told Brian this, my worry if you hire him and you lose Fickle, people are going to be like, you, you, you missed your big guy. That's why you had to hire him. And the way – I feel some people would say is, well, if you're going to hire some defensive coordinator from Cincinnati, I'm not giving you my money. And it's just one of those things where, again, people that follow it, you see how good Cincinnati's been. He's 34 years old. You're talking about relating. Now, on the other hand, hiring somebody that young, a lot of young professionals out there might be like, I love this hire. Yeah, I only can give $100 a year. Cool. But when there's 10,000 of those stroking checks for $100 a year, that will help with things significantly. Um, And, you know, you kind of look at it and say with him, it's kind of like the fickle thing. At his age right now, there's only one place he'd probably go to. That's P5 wise. And that would be Ohio State. Yeah. At, At his age right now. Fickles an Ohio State guy was that interim job, but once he went there, was defensive coordinator under Urban for a few years, went back to Cincinnati, went to Cincinnati. He kind of knows coaching his alma mater as a head coach is gone. And for Freeman, it's still the option out there. Now, I threw Brian a ginormous curveball here. Um <laughs> Because I mentioned one guy and Brian was like, eh. and then I threw this name out. Jamie Chadwell. For everybody at home, I'm going to give <laughs> you a few seconds to go on your uh, smartphones there. Put in Jamie Chadwell in your search engine. Okay. Jamie Chadwell is the current head coach and offensive coordinator of Coastal Carolina. And obviously this year they are having a great season. And he's actually been a head coach for well over or just over a decade, starting in D2, then moving to the Gulf South Conference, then moving to the Big South, where at Charleston Southern, two years in the playoffs, um, then came to Coastal couple rough years but finally got them going in the right direction i like him for a couple reasons a his age he's like his early 40s some people will say well fuente is too okay that doesn't help us but my bigger thing is where he's done his primary coaching is down in south carolina so for me i think he's a guy that probably gets the region okay he gets georgia he probably gets north carolina he probably gets virginia 
He played out at East Tennessee State. Probably gets that region, probably gets, you know, more of our regional footprint here. And I just feel that it would be, it would be one of the, this is the long shot, right? Okay. Yeah. If you're talking money wise, um, I've been trying to find his current salary for the last couple minutes and it's not been there. So let's <laughs> find it. Efforting, efforting, efforting. Efforting. Um, uh, all right. His current deal. You ready for it, Brian? Thanksgiving turkey is only served once a year because of how bland and dry it is. <laughs> and that happens. We're keeping that in. <laughs> yeah, you keep that in. <laughs> He's not making much, Brian, so let me just get here. <sighs> I love ads. I love ads so much. Like, what the frick is that? He is making. Ready? Yep. We can get him for two million a year. You know why? Why? His current salary is three hundred seventy-five thousand dollars. Yeah, we could get him for three million a year, two million a year, one million a year. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, they can do that, but yeah, I see a guy that understands the region. You've seen him build a team financially. If you feel like you have to cut some things, you're not gonna have to pay him out the wazoo out of the gate. So you know. Let me throw a little caveat on that here. So okay. you said Jamie Chadwell. I'm going to throw someone that's kind of essentially <laughs> similar in this same vein here. I know you, you know who I'm going to say it, but Will Healy. Okay, Will Healy, yeah. Down at UNCC. Yeah. Um, similar, yeah. Similar guy. A little bit younger. A little um, bit younger. Um, not as many stops at this point. Um, only been a head coach since 2016, um, but his annual salary is 755,000. So that's another one where 2 million will get, get the job done. Um, and another young guy similar to, to Freeman that can really relate with these kids, I think, and do a good job with the recruiting. Um, Alma, Alma, uh, Mater is a uh, university of Richmond. So True. understands the area coaching in Charlotte. Um, you know, was a coach at Austin P before he went to UNC Charlotte. Sure. You know, I don't, I don't think it's a slam dunk. I don't think it's sexy, but I think similar to Jamie Chadwell, it might be a, a pretty decent uh, run there. No, no, it's true, man. And the one that I threw out there to you, and, and these guys did not, they're on our list, but they didn't go top five because when you consensus things up, you have to be honest. I love Billy Napier. Brian's kind of out on him. I don't know why, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the best part of this. Brian didn't agree with that. I didn't like Healy that much because I think Healy's too young and he's literally having to build a program from the base. Um, But I like Napier, coached at Clemson, knows that region, been down Louisiana, doing very good down there. Brian, I'm going to give you one more name. You ready? And this is I'm the ready, name man. I have to throw out. Your old coach. Ah, yeah. I mean, I, I can speak for a little bit on him, man. Um, when I was at Hamden Sydney, he coached uh, D-line one year and tight ends for for one year. Um, definitely like a player's coach, understands the relationships. Um, to give you guys a, 
a uh, an idea of the type of coach you're dealing with. Um, he's a guy that was enrolled at Hamden Sydney while he was coaching. He <laughs> said, "I don't want to play. I want to coach." And so, as a essentially a, a peer, he was commanding that respect of players and getting the job done at a high level. Um, had had one of the best years for our tight ends the years he was coaching uh, tight ends. We had one that was uh, all ODAC that year. So he knows his shit, and he's had success at pretty much every stop since then. Um, it's gonna, it's it's going to not. It's no nobody in the fan base is going to say yes. Let's hire another Memphis coach after Fuente and after what's going on with Mike Norvell down at FSU. But if you just want my opinion on the guy, I think he'd be a good hire. Well, I mean, he coached in Georgia high schools. He coached yep. in Virginia. So, obviously, he's probably got some inroads here, even though it was 20 years ago. He was an NFL coach. He coached down at UCF. He was out at Arizona State. He was at Toledo. And then he's been at Memphis for the last four years under Norvell. So, guy has a ton of experience. And clearly, you talk about I was in school wanting to coach. And then makes his way to the NFL for, um, you know, better part of half a decade. Um, it, it does say something about him. All right, Brian. There's a big elephant in the room. There is, man. And this is, this is one. If you throw it on the Twitter timeline, you're going to get Jesus either, either guys that love it so much that they're, it's ridiculous or guys that will be adamantly against it. It's Who Shane, is it, Curtis? It's Shane Beamer. And yeah. It, and it, it's, it's one of those funny things where the, the consensus is he grew up here. He played here. His dad was a legend here. He gets the culture. The other half, he ain't done shit. <laughs> What's he done? He's not even a coordinator anywhere. And I think – I don't think Shane is – is he a great probably football X's and O's coach? No. Maybe on special teams. Um, if if we hired him, he would pretty much do what his dad did is the BHC and coach special teams. It's true. But the whole thing is – and, Brian, since you coached, so many people think head coach has to do one thing. You know, they gotta, they've got to have one side of the ball or the other. Some of the best coaches aren't X's and O geniuses at – any of it, right? But they're unbelievable <laughs> motivators. They're unbelievable organizers. They're right. good CEOs. Yeah. And in a sense, they're experts at managing the works. They're not experts in any any one discipline. And with him, it's one of those things. He's been an assistant head coach. He was an assistant head coach with his dad. He was a special teams coordinator for Kirby Smart, and for the last. Four seasons, three seasons, he's been an associate or assistant, the assistant head coach for Lincoln Riley in coaching tight ends. He's only making four hundred seventy thousand dollars. I think I think he would take a home down discount between two and two and a half million. If he does that, you can go get million dollar coordinators. Yeah, I mean, let's go ahead and, and get this out of the way. I feel like unless guys are hell bent on certain coordinators. We need to be paying a million dollars for our coordinators. 
It's true. It's and, true. you know, if we look at what's going on right now with uh, <laughs> with the two coordinators that we have right now, um, we're kind of getting what we paid for. We're getting a guy that has potential but is very green on the defensive side, and we're getting a guy that has a pretty good grasp of scheme but is very poor at preparing his team to play and at getting consistent play on the field, both in the play calling front and the actual execution. It's the honest truth, man. So, you know, I, I, I we talk it. about all that and we, and now we need to say, if, if we're going to take a step forward, we need the salaries for those coordinators to be competitive with the, with the teams that we want to beat consistently. It's true, man. But the other thing with Shane and Shane is kind of similar to, um, it's similar to Todd. He Shane's been coaching twenty years, and and the folks who do knock it and say, "Well, it, it's dumb," because yeah, okay. He coached at Georgia Tech in two thousand. He coached at Tennessee under Fulmer as a GA two thousand one, two thousand two, two thousand three. He was at Mississippi State with Sylvester Croom oh four, oh five, oh six. He was down with the old ball coach. Um from 2007 to 2010 he clearly was here with his dad again with Kirby at Georgia and with Lincoln I think and again if you if you think about how his dad hired people and his dad's personality and I know his dad's not all him you know Frank coached almost a decade before well actually over a decade before he got here right I just want to do something real quick. And again, I like doing this stuff live because it's kind of fun. Um, Everything. Everything. Frank Beamer graduated in 1968. From 1972 to 1987, he coached at Maryland, the Citadel, Murray State. He was with Bobby Ross some of those years. Um. And with Murray State, he was actually the defensive coordinator before he came. You know, you talk about some of the guys that he pulled in. He pulled in. Wiles was a guy he coached. Bud was a guy he coached. You know, being just because a guy hasn't went to coordinator or he's been coaching 20 years, you know, look at Indiana right now. You see what Indiana's doing? Yeah. Look at that. That's an Indiana guy. He was a coach elsewhere from 1992 up to 2016 when he became the defensive coordinator. Coach got fired. He took over interim. They hired him. He's built them up in the last four years, and they beat Michigan, and they beat Penn State. It's true. In the day. So just because a guy's not been what – the coordinator or a coach somewhere else. Don't let that not. Yeah. I'm probably not as high on, on Shane as you are. Um, or some, some folks on the timeline have been, um, but I'm not opposed to it. I think it would be from a, we talked about the CEO perspective. I think it would be a very good choice from that front, because I think he does, 
handle those aspects of the job well. I think he would be good with donors. Um, what I don't know is it, what concerns me, I guess, is more of the recruiting side of it, just because there were very big ups and downs for him while he was on the staff. All right. H- hold on. Can I, can, I, can I tell you the way to solve that? Yep. Comes in, goes to dad, and you conference call Lauren Johnson. And you say, Lauren, we want you on this staff. Here's $300,000. You don't think that would solve some of his recruiting woes in certain places in this state? That would help. Um, grabbing probably <laughs> one more assistant from the 757 might help. And You mean keep, you know, it, keep, keep it moving? I think it's a potential there, but I also think you talk about donors. Shane, there are some people, they can say what they want to say. The people who are going to give the 100 to $200 a year that are casual Virginia Tech fans, and they are, and, and some of you might be casual listening to us, and that's fine because you that's your priorities, and that's awesome. But I think Shane could touch every single piece of the base. His dad to leverage the older donors himself to sort of essentially to grant them up to the our age folks. You could grab those. And then you see Shane and how he acts and you see Shane's full of energy and you see his personality. And I feel like he would be one of those innovative guys to get the kids graduating to become members of the Hokie club. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and I mean, he's, he's a, I mean, for whatever small role it was, he can also say that he was on the 99 team. Yeah, he was the long snapper, man. <laughs> I always remember this, folks, about the 99 team. If Shane Beamer was a shitty long snapper, the miracle in Morgantown never happens. Bingo. Bingo. <laughs> so for, for whatever that's worth, that's going to count right there. It counts. Anything else breaking since we've been on here for, what, an hour and 20 minutes or so? An hour and 10 minutes. Okay. Not, not terrible. Not as bad as last week. I'm not as drunk as last week. I was, yeah, yeah, guys, uh, we, we, we've saved you guys the uh, an extra 20 minutes here. We're not, we're not pushing hour 40. Nah, we appreciate <laughs> you guys listening um, to that show. But I'm not seeing anything breaking. I am watching some Pac-12 after dark. On my end here, seeing Washington go up 17-7. There's a couple others. There's another Mac game on, which I think I'm going to probably turn in early tonight. Master starts at 10 tomorrow, and I do want to watch that as long as I can. If there's nothing else breaking, Brian, let's wrap it. Yes, sir. All right, that takes care of this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. My name is Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. We do ask you follow us on Twitter, Facebook. Also subscribe on your favorite podcast source, Amazon, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Please rate, review, leave us messages, give us the five star, ask us questions. Some people want to know about Quincy. We, you know, we touched that a brief bit tonight. You know, that's what we're here for. We want to talk about it. If there's something you guys are interested in, let us know. DM the Boundary Corner Podcast Twitter page. If you've got a question that you want to put out there, 
you know, own it. And as always, without our buddy from the NRV, our hometown boy, Jason Long, play us out. Please check him out on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And on November 19th, he will be playing in Roanoke at Bloom Restaurant and Wine Bar at 530. As always, let's go. Okies.